Welcome to the Power of Makeup podcast. Today, your host, Lan, is joined by celebrity stylist extraordinaire, Carl Willett. So, Carl, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I'm so glad that you've, you're, you're coming to the forefront because, you know, I think you're amazing. And obviously, we've collaborated from a long, long time. Um, I don't know how many years now, but... Um, it is is a lot. It could be a decade. Over a decade, I'd say. Um, you tend to we forget met. it when it gets too far. Yeah. And we, I was trying to think about like how we met, and it was. Was it MySpace? Yeah. One of the social things. And I, I don't remember how, but I do remember your name, because at the time, I was quite... You know, social media was only coming in when I decided, like, right, I need a presence in PR, and... I need to get my name out there. I need to collaborate yeah. with people. And that's when I went on MySpace looking for stylists, photographers, people to work with. And then I hit the button on you. So, you know, I know that you are self-taught, but, you know, I'd like to go back into like your childhood and just like, how did you become a stylist? Like, what was your fascination in fashion? Like, when were you exposed to it? Gosh, okay, let's think. Well, I never really knew I'd be a stylist ever. I had a typical upbringing where I was sort of told, you know, I grew up in Essex, had a great life, go to London, get a job in business and, you know, live the London life. I did that. I, I, I left school. I wasn't really very academic. I was much more practical. I loved doing things in my hands. I was very much more creative in that respect. Um, I didn't really enjoy school, but I did go straight into college. I did the first three months, dropped out at that term, end of term, did a business course, bored the hell out of me. I then had a year off, just worked part time, went back to college, tried to do a business and music course, oh, wow. bored the hell out of me, left after three <laughs> months. So I kind of realised, and I had a supportive family. So even though okay. they were like, oh, you keep dropping out, like you've got to stick to something. Mm. I just didn't know what that was. So I thought, right, let me go into London now and I'll just get base level admin work and just see where I can go. I worked in recruitment for, oh, it was since I was 17, 18. So I think I did that for four years and I worked all my way up. So I was, by the time I left, I was an account manager. I was 21 years old and I had a company car. And back then it was like company car, laptop, mobile phone. And I thought I was living the best life. And then I just one day knew that I was missing a big chunk of what I valued in myself. Um, I met my partner, Stephen, at that point, and he was a dancer. And I think that then sort of speared me on to go, okay, dig a little deeper inside yourself, work out what you could do. And I literally one day said to my mum and dad, I'm giving up my job and I'm going to go into something creative. And they were like, they did think I was crazy to start with, but I'll never forget my mum. I was sitting on our kitchen counter and my mum was like, whatever you want to do, we'll follow you, support you, look after you, which was obviously the best thing I could want to hear, but also the most daunting thing because I had no direction. So I then just applied to loads of jobs. And at that point, the stage magazine or newspaper yeah. was the creative hub. Like you looked at the the job pages and you found that's where everything was. It, was, it wasn't advertised anywhere else. And there was a job advert for Selfridges doing their window dressing. And I applied for it. 
I definitely would say I uh, embellished my CV. <laughs> I worked. I How worked did you through. embellish your, your CV? Considering like you chopped out in all these places. So what did you actually put on the CV? Well, uh, I, I mean, believe you, you fake it till you make it. There's oh, no right. harm yeah. right. in believing in your potential. Mm. As long as you're not going to damage something, you know, to say the wrong thing. But I, I worked in retail part time. Yeah. And I was just a sales assistant in a sports shop. But I loved yeah. watching the merchandisers basically fold jumpers and put them on the shelves. And I used to think, oh, I could do that. And sometimes I used to do it when the merchandise was off, I would neaten up all the display shelves. So I, I was teaching myself stuff without even realizing. Mm. It was just something I enjoyed doing. I wasn't very good at just standing there waiting to serve somebody. I wanted to do something all the time. So obviously when I applied to Selfridges, um, I might have said that, you know, I was assistant merchandiser. <laughs> But I knew all the skill set. I knew what I I needed to do. I was blagging, yeah. Yeah. But then after I was at Selfridges, I was only supposed to be there for two weeks and I ended up being there two years, freelance, so on and off. Mm. And I remember telling them after like six months, oh, by the way, when you took me on, I might have told a little white lie, (laughs) Um, which they were fine with. It worked out. But I learnt my craft there. I sort of had no idea about fashion still, where my end goal was, but I learned about how to look at the body form of anybody and how to how clothes were supposed to be worn in a creative style. So it was nothing commercially, really. It was nothing about what suits, what body type. It was more, how do you mix fabrics? How do you mix textures? How do you layer? How do you embellish? Mm. How do you dramatise what the high street was offering for Selfridges windows? Um, and then there was millions of freelancers. So every, even though I was quite constant, there was a lot of people coming in and out every few weeks. So I was just, I mean, chat to people and I would get little jobs here, little jobs there. So I kind of dabbled a lot mm. around that two year period. I did some interior styling. I did some styling for God Getty images when we did just stock images um, with a stylist. I did some magazine work. And it was all very much like, where's the end goal? There was no real vision still, but I was enjoying sort of learning and and evolving myself as a stylist, but still not really even knowing that a stylist role was out there. I Mm. saw it as I was still a visual merchandiser, but in a different world with human beings or with, you know, lampshades and, and lamps and soft furnishings. I never really knew you could make a full career as a stylist. So how, like who was, um, I mean, it seems you were very confident at a very young age to just yeah. up and leave stuff straight away. Was that out of boredom or was it just your gut instinct? Like, you know, what gave you that drive to be able to just go, no, nope, I'm going to do something else? Because a lot of people get stuck in a rut and considering you're doing a job that it's not exactly an easy job because there's yeah. no particular rules to it I don't think like yeah. I wouldn't know really what that meant at that no, time. No I know exactly what I mean. yeah. it is it was gut. I'm very passionate with anybody that I've ever met and anybody that I've ever worked alongside to sort of say if something's not working change it because back then I was very comfortable very stable it was a perfect life in in many ways um, but there was something I wasn't fulfilled with so even though I had money I had freedom I had fun, I had good friends, good social life. I just kind of knew I would risk all of that 
to start from the bottom and work all the way up, which basically I did do. Um, I went to earning pennies. I remember in the first probably six months, my nan loaned me money, my mum and dad loaned me money to pay rent. So it was definitely a stage of, gosh, you're going from having everything and you're just taking a leap of faith. But I'm a firm believer that that is what life's about, you know, at any point, at any age, at any part of, you know, your journey, if something's not working, change it because there is a journey and a path for you. You just need to find it. Yeah. And I totally, I've had assistants that have worked for me over the years. They're now nothing to do with styling. One's a personal trainer. You know, they go off and I encourage people to just try and to do what their heart is saying because there's no point in holding on. I don't try and hold on to an assistant because it, they're not with me. Well, that's a bit of a lie because you know Adele and she's been with me for all my years. Yeah, but, but she goes know. off and then she comes in. She, she does, goes. yeah. But I'm always, so yes, yeah, it's, it's a gut feeling for me. And I, I always take a leap of faith. And I believe in fate. So I believe if it's to be, it's to be. I mean, what was happening around that time? Just give the people that are listening and watching, um, you know, what was happening around in the culture and the celeb world, maybe? What were you aware of? Is there anything that you distinctly remember that was happening around that time? Well, right at the beginning, I knew nothing about celebrity. I think I probably lived a goldfish bowl life. I, <laughs> I enjoyed, you know, the pop culture. I enjoyed going out and, and dancing to music. But I didn't really have the concept of these celebrities have stylists and there's a career there. I kind of saw it as... I was dipping into a world where I was just enjoying being given a rail of clothes and playing dress up. It didn't really feel authentic as a career path at the beginning, but I loved it. Um, and I remember people always used to say to me, what, is that a job? Is a stylist a job? And I was like, yeah, it is actually. And I'm, mm. I'm finding my way with it. Um, back then, what was, gosh, popular... I, th I think because I was in this goldfish bowl, I didn't see anything as wrong. So for me, creativity what was, is pop, was popular. You know, I started out idolising people in the pop industry like the Pussycat Dolls, like Gwen Stefani, no doubt, like Destiny's Child, um, Christina Aguilera, people that just really didn't necessarily fit a distinctive mould, mm. but they were creative in what they were putting out there. And that really then drove me to think, okay, I enjoy working with females. I enjoy the visualisation of what the fun you can have working with females. And I met my first celebrity through a mutual friend of ours, photographer Joseph Sinclair. And I was doing loads of work with him for um, gay magazines, actually, just publications. And it was, you know, dressing men in underwear and, and speedos. And, you know, that was fun to begin with. Mm. Cause it was like well, this is different. But then it got to a point of that does not give me enough. But Joseph was like, oh, you know, I'm starting to work and do some more fashion stuff. Um, so my first celebrity I ever worked with was Lisa Scott Lee from Steps. Oh, my God. So that was, yeah, I mean, she was, I worked for her because she was on Dancing on Ice. Yeah. And she had to do like some newspaper shots. So it was still in underwear and sportswear mm. and swimwear. But I was just like, wow, celebrity, this is amazing. Like I say, I idolised any kind of celebrity at that point. Um, and then following on from that, we then met, I met Kimberly Wyatt through Joseph. And I think that's when I really started to understand, okay, there is a, a path here I could mm. take. 
which was, you know, that cliche of a celebrity stylist as opposed to just being a stylist. And I sort of was like, okay, this is where I see myself going. I mean, Kimberly was not exactly just a, a celebrity, was she? No. She was part of the biggest girl band in the world and at that they were time, still, right? And just as I met her, they were still, everything was happening. It was months after that, you know, they then sort of announced a split. I don't know if they ever called it a split, but they sort of just went their mm. separate ways for a moment to do their own solo stuff. And Kimberly was over here. And again, I worked for her for nearly three, four years and built a great relationship. And I think that's really what allowed me to understand why I wanted to be a celebrity stylist mm. as opposed to an editorial stylist, because... I love building a relationship. I love building a sort of a unit and a connection and like a family sort of feel. I wasn't really somebody that enjoyed, you know, just shooting different models every week and you know having no familiarity with where I was going to in my workplace. So working with her, I think, gave me a lot of understanding, gave me a lot of foundation. I learned that actually you can take things away sometimes and it probably will still look as effective mm. so I very much went into this with um let's do everything and it'll always work no let's do more 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 and you know <laughs> you you probably were drawn to me because of that but you know yeah. over the years now I've yeah. learned let me just strip back a bit it doesn't harm but it's so interesting you say that because you know the more is more actually we, we just love that whole thing but also my career in that sort of time with you mm. is like I feel like I've gone I've learned my skills backwards so I went more yeah. more more from the beginning yeah. because I was trying to make a point but then as the more and more I've become more skilled the more of the the wants is just like less less is more but and do you not think because I've, I've back to front so I've thought about that sometimes mm. and I think but does, is that because we're affected by the industry and we're now diluting in certain aspects what is our creative not creative genius but our creative spark which is mm. the more is more is more and it creates a visual that is quite timeless because it was never really in line with a fashion trend and yeah. I loved that element of what I did but I think over the years I've questioned have I diluted it for other people as opposed to for myself because people like to put us in boxes and mm. that's what I've realized as well you know, I was very fast put in a box of, you know, he's quite a, a eccentric stylist. Um, and when I went sort of with Kimberly and went on to work with Paloma Faith, I was so in this box, it was like locked shut. And I don't think people saw that I could do versatility in my work. Um, so I had to really try and battle with that for a while, how to change people's perception, mm. but also battle with do I want to change? Like, why do I want to change? Is the industry trying to make me feel I need to do that? So I feel like it's a question I've asked myself, like, because I do look back at a lot of our stuff and I think, wow, like we've created something that even now is relevant because mm. it's a vision board for someone to go, I like this, let's do this version of that, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it brings us back to like talking about collaborations, you know, it's mm. like who, who gets the, who gets the say? Because yeah. it's like when I was coming in, I never knew what a stylist was until I started um, working with you or doing the shoots. And I didn't realize, like, you know, the stylist can make or break a makeup artist career too. Yeah. You know, um, like if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing celebrities, you know, because yeah. I shied away from celebrities. I, I sort of came across, I did Faye from Steps and uh, a couple of things and 
Um, oh, we love steps. Yeah, <laughs> dabbling in a few things, but it wasn't anything major. And, you know, um, I wasn't ever interested in celebrity either because it, I was just doing so much live shows. Yeah. But then you, you know, you called me one day and asked me just to fill in, you know, and boom, I started working with Kimberly as well. And so we sort of built a relationship of collaboration. Yeah. So, but, you know, there's always been, you know, I just want to ask you like highs and lows. So mm -hmm. let's talk about first um, the difference between a good look and a bad look, because I feel like stylists do have the overall image control. You know, it's not a photographer taking the pictures because actually we're all in tangent hair, makeup, yeah. styling. But in essence, if someone's turning up in a dress or it dictates everything else. Absolutely. And, so. Joe, that's such an interesting point because actually I think the make or break is the team and the aesthetic behind how the team's put together. Because I've worked with certain celebrities in the past and because the hairstylist, let's say, for example, naming no names, mm -hmm. is so directional and no, it's got to be this hair, but then that doesn't go with the makeup or the outfit, but it's done. It's convinced, it's happening. You kind of look back and you think, actually, the downfall is when the team isn't cohesively working together and you can have a great outfit, you can have a great maybe hairstyle, but then the makeup artist runs wild with, you know, what they want to do. And maybe there's no time to change it. Maybe the artist loves it. Um, but the damage actually that happens afterwards with situations like that is that the stylist can upset the brand who loaned them the outfit. And I've had that in the past where they've gone to the, the levels of saying, right, if we loan you this outfit, then we want this sort of look on your artist. We want this sort of hair, this sort of makeup. So our brand is kept you know, cohesive. I've had that because I think some people maybe in the past have been scared with some of the people I've worked with that we're going to go too crazy into outside mm. of the box. Um, but yet they have this passion and love for them that they kind of want to loan to them, but they get a bit nervous. Are we going to take it a step too far? But, you know, I would say in answer to your question, highs and lows, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> So tell me, like, okay, that moment that you're like, yes, I'm a stylist, you know, that high point where you felt really proud yeah. of yourself. Because I know you're quite very, you critique everything and you're very hard on yourself. So, and, you know, you've sustained a long career by yourself and you've been, you know, your ups and downs and things. So give me, like, your highest point, I'd say, like, in terms of, like, wow, <laughs> that succeeded your expectation. Well, I'm going to be controversial here and mm. say that I don't know. I've had many great moments in my career, but I don't know if I would say I've had extreme highs and lows. I think my career has been very lucky, you know, touch wood, may it continue. I've been very lucky to have a real constant flow of good people around me. I've made the right moves at the right time. I, I like to think to a degree I kind of, choose who I want to work with as opposed to I need to work with you scenarios so my when I think of highs in my career I kind of think every time I see a finished product out there that I personally am proud of is a tick box for me is a high um I would say I'm, I'm not somebody that gets starstruck so you know the only person that would ever probably floor me because I've idolized her from a young age would be Gwen Stefani yeah, purely because her aesthetic, everything about her, I've always visually enjoyed. 
my high actually comes from when I've worked with, for example, somebody like Jennifer Hudson and I dress her for something, then she goes on stage and she sings. And I'm like, this is a moment that no one else can take from me. You know, I'm not watching it for a screen. I could be in the rehearsal with her and she just sings her heart out in a look that I've put together. Um, and they're the moments I actually sit back and think, I'm lucky, I'm grateful, I'm privileged, honoured to be where I am right now. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't say, oh my God, my career has had this high because right. I kind of feel like my high is going to come in years' time when I've really, really, I guess, gone through some different stages of my career. Um, there is many lows though. Many lows. So, you know, while, whilst <laughs> the easy. highs main co remain yeah. constant, I'd say there is more low moments in a career like this. One, because oh. actually... I've done my career without having an agent. I, you know, I dabbled for a year or two, but really I've done my whole career by myself. You're very isolated. You're very alone. Even though you're working with teams and like yeah. we're good friends, actually your journey as an artist is can be quite lonely because you're kind of got no one always there to bounce off of. I have my assistants, you know, we've mentioned Adele and she's always there for me to sort of yeah. run through ideas with. But... I would say when you've got, let's say, a client that you can move the earth to please, but yet you'd never still necessarily please them enough, mm. they're the moments where you're like, as a perfectionist like I am, I'm never happy until that they're happy. So I could go home thinking, well, I literally could not do anything else. I could not change a thing. But yet, if there's something that still wasn't perfect, I'll go home and that will be a low to me because I just strive so high for everything that I do. I'm never a settler, as you mm. know. I don't like to settle. I don't like to sit in a comfort zone. I like to think I'm always pushing the boundaries. Um, I'm inspirational to others because I want to push the boundaries. I don't want to just settle. And, you know, I think, digressing slightly, but with this new age of, you know, let's say social media, Instagram-led mm. stylists, makeup artists, hair, photographers coming in, you know, it's brilliant. It's a different world. It's, a, it's visually exciting for me. But there's a difference with when you work from a young age and you work through the hardships and no one saw our work back then. Yes, there was MySpace, like you say, but no one saw our work unless it was published. Whereas nowadays you can put out work literally every five minutes and that's how you can build your mm. career. For us, I think we had to work harder. The struggle was more real. Um, so I think that kind of answers that. Yeah, I mean, like, what was your sort of, like, support system then? You know, how did you fight those battles? Because obviously, I think we all go through it, you know, as creatives. Mm. You know, um, maybe someone outside go, oh, yeah, it's great, but, you know, like, you could have done better. And, you know, you go um, home with a heavy heart, but it's like, like you said, you've done the best that you can, yeah. you know, but I think there's a, for some people, they can dwell on it so much and lose themselves, you know, so how are you, how do you cope? How, what's your sort of mechanism, you know, like for um, getting over it, you know, because you're think, such a perfectionist. I know. And so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's my pitfall sometimes because actually we all do know that you know that phrase of you know what is perfection nowadays there isn't there's so much options of 
what we think is and perceive is perfection, but actually it's all down to whoever's watching it individually mm. and their eye on it. I'm always surround myself with friends and family. And I think if it wasn't for the sort of grounding that I have given myself to mm. not try to take the industry too seriously, I would have probably broken down many times. I don't really... Okay, so this is a weird one. I, I love my job. I'm a stylist, love the career, but I don't really um, love as much of the industry as mm. probably other people, you know, indulge in. Um, I love family life. I love home life. So I'm somebody that does the job, says, thank you very much. See you soon. Yeah. I don't go to the parties necessarily. I don't always go to the, you know, events because I'd sooner go home and spend time with my family, friends. I've, I've had situations where, I remember one situation years ago where a client, I mean, I've cried a few times on jobs, but not on jobs, but in the background, but a client, I was so emotionally upset yeah. because I, it was coming to an end. The job was coming to an end. That client I'd worked with for a number of years, they were very difficult. They were known for being very difficult. Um, but I sort of just kept going, kept going. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd left a couple of times. I don't mind saying this at all. But I'd yeah. left this client a couple of times and the management begged me back and they were like, we'll pay you more money. Please just come back. We yeah. know it's tough, but you're great at what you do. And obviously I was younger, so I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. But not really knowing the impact it was happening on me mentally. And I remember one morning I was due to go to a job with them and I was just, I just couldn't get dressed. I was crying. I was in our lounge and my partner, um, Stephen, came in and Adele, who I mentioned my assistant and they sort of said it's not worth it even though the the person was good for my career yeah. was good to be seen to be working with you know it just wasn't worth what I was going through mentally so I kind of feel like that has always been my go-to I bounce off of the people that are more realistic in my life hmm. like yourself we can talk about stuff and instantly go okay I know what to do now yeah I don't really no, if I didn't have that support with family and friends, if I'd be probably enjoying the job at all, because I think you need it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's it's interesting you said that because you know you need that sort of um, to be able to step out of that realm to go. No, enough's enough. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't actually get to that point until they break at some yeah. point. And for me, it's like I don't know where, but you know, there was a point for me as well, like enough was enough you mm. know um i love my job and i live my um you know i live and breathe my job but i've had to learn like as i've got older you know it's like i don't feel like i have to get that contract anymore i don't feel like i have to get the front cover anymore because i think the pandemic has yeah. done this i feel like actually you know crap you know our industry was just shut down like that and yeah. you know and we were just dismissed all of us all together musicians creative everyone in the same boat you know, and the the people that were still working were the key workers, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know what? I love everything I do. It's not make or break, but I just now have to make the changes to make sure I'm not sacrificing the the day-to-day -day stuff and my family yeah. and everything else, you know. So, but I was saying we were fearless yeah. back then. And maybe we didn't have the attachments that we have now. Maybe we've learned the lessons. Mm. We've seen through, you know, not rose-tinted glasses. We actually see it for what it is. And you almost learn to pick and choose what really, I, well, I do, what I indulge more in and what I don't. Um, I've had clients in the past 
They've sort of said, oh, don't post that. Can you take down that picture on social media? Because I don't really want people to know you're working with that person as well mm. as me. And I'm always like, do you know what? I'm proud of the work I do regardless. Yeah. So whether you are A-list or Z-list, I don't mind. If I'm committing to you, if I'm committing to the job, I'm doing it because there's my own passion in there. I don't like how sometimes the industry can dictate to you yeah. what's right and wrong. Um, and I'm a, I believe I'm a good advocate of that. I like to sort of say mm. to people, you know, go out there and enjoy what you do. Don't go out there and be directed unnecessarily because somebody says it's not right. You shouldn't be doing that right now. You need to be going down this. This is what's popular. This is what's trend-led. I mean, my funny thing is I've always sort of said to people I'm the least trend-led stylist probably that I know. And when I've done lectures, I've sort of said, because I actually try and follow my client's brief. You know, I yeah. look at them and I go, what suits and works for you? What is going to make you stand out compared to what everybody else is doing? What's going to make you unique? Um, and one of those moments was with Paloma Faith. When we, I, for years, I used to call Burberry and be like, can we go on front row fashion week? Please, you know, we'll be, it's going to be an amazing moment. And I remember thinking, God, I, I'm exhausted. I keep calling you. You keep saying, sorry, they couldn't. And, you know, there wasn't enough space. And then one year we got the go ahead, you know, the, the green light. And I thought, right, we've got to make a moment. If we're going to do something. And we, we did. did. She dyed her hair, you know, fluorescent orange. We went for something that was very unconventional. It was all Burberry. But, you know, it was a see-through plastic pencil skirt with burgundy and white heart knickers you know it was something that wasn't the norm but it was about to shake their brand a little bit and sort of say do you know what we can work with all sorts and we we are as eccentric as the next and I really think that was when they embodied Paloma as a brand because she then for years afterwards yeah. collaborated with them um, she sung for them. She did all sorts. And that was all because I think they took a punt and a risk on what I sold them because I believed it could work. Mm. So all those examples for me are why I sort of say to people, you know, yeah, trends are important. They're things that we have to still be aware of. But I'm all for individuality. And, you know, find what works for you and in what you enjoy and stay on that path. You know, and if that path changes one day, embrace that as well. Don't don't ever feel you're in one box. And so, like, how? What do you think that you do apart from that that makes you unique into sustaining? You know, getting because you are always busy uh, with all mm. different clients. You know, and you obviously have an eye, and you found yourself. I feel like you found your sort of your passion into that area of styling because I yeah. think styling is so tricky. Like you said, you'd be in a box. So, you know, with the difference of body shapes and, you know, what sort of motivates you and, you know, if someone's listening in, like, you know, how, how are you, what do you think is your sort of USP sort of thing that makes you, Carl? I really would say is that I genuinely, genuinely have fun with fashion. I never take it too seriously. Mm. So, you know, a new client can come up and my, my, Aim is to give them something fresh, something different, something exciting. Um, I'm somebody that is, I would say, I'm extremely transparent. So when I work with clients, honesty, transparency, communication is the only way. That's how I keep my clients long term because I'm really 
honest with them. And I re- I try to receive that back as well um, in an industry where it's not as easy to. Um, what is my USP? I Do you know what? To just... Oh, it sounds so lame, doesn't it? But I, I would honestly say it's just I have fun with what I do. I never really sit back and worry if I am fitting the industry's brief. I always worry if I'm fitting that client's mm-hmm. social persona. And I work with them to then enhance that and tailor it and diversify it. I'm not I'm not scared of sitting outside the box ever. I'm not scared of being criticized, critiqued. I would definitely say sometimes it hits you in the face and you're like, "Oh, I thought you'd like that." But it doesn't fear me. I don't ever then introvert because of it. I'm continuously on that same path. Um I think I think fashion is such a hard industry because it is so scrutinized and it's so looked in from a lens, not only from you know, huge um, A-list industry insiders, but your everyday Joe blogs it is still about fashion. Even if they don't, you know, think of it themselves, they still buy clothes, they wear clothes. So everyone has an opinion. So I think I learned at a young age never to worry about negativity because in actual fact, you're going to get it regardless of whether you ask for it or worry about it because you can't please everyone. Um, and I think all of that is probably what has set me up to think I just have fun with it. You know, when we've worked together, we don't really strategically plan stuff. We kind of go, this is a loose idea of what we're going to do. Or you would come to me and you're like, bring your stuff and then let's make things happen. And that to me is creativity. That is like mm. having fun. It's And you create things, I think, more freely. Um, so I'm afraid for anyone listening, it's the most boring answer to say I just have fun with fashion but it really is the most realistic I love that so Carl like you're so into family relationships you do so much you always bring communities together you know you've even got a choir um you collaborate in all different levels you've been on tv and you know consultations for a lot of people so what's next for you what's next for me I would say I mean I'm hugely into family um me and my partner recently done a whole surrogacy journey it's taken us many years but we now have two 10 month old little boys two twins our little river and rocco um that's my next generation that's like my next that's the future that's where i aspire to be now a dad and add that string to my bow and you know hopefully to grow to you know amazing mouth figures out there whether they're in our industry or not, whatever they're up yeah. to, whatever they do, um, to maybe grow our family further. Who knows? Um, I get married next year. Wow. After being with Stephen for, gosh, 16 years, we're now eventually getting married. 16 um, years. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's time to have a big party, really. Um, so that's going to be fun. But, you know, I when it comes to... That's life for me. You know, my, my career has always sort of been in tangled in my my whole life from the sense of it's about creating family like you said and creating friendship groups that you know a lot of my friends are my industry friends because I've created these little um pockets of of where my freedom is and where my expression is and 
I look forward to, I hope to go into, I'm in talks at the moment, I should say, we're doing some fashion collaborations and some jewellery collaborations, where maybe now I can start moving into designing as well as the styling side of things. Because I, I mean, as a, as a stylist, you are always looking for the thing that you really crave, but you can never always find when you need it. So that's why a lot of stylists diversify and also design because they or collaborate with people in design because it allows you then to really put your stamp on the things that you crave to find out there that aren't always available. So it's going to be busy. That future is, is quite busy. Who knows where it's mapped out, where it's going to end. But, you know, for me, life's just the experience. And I just want to end with, like, looking back at everything like you've got such a long career on on what you've been through and like it sounds like you've just set yourself up for a whole new different world mm -hmm. and a lot more challenges um so you know how are you preparing yourself um mindset you know um to deal with all this you know do you think what you've gone through now has enabled you to be a lot stronger to to um get on with all this because obviously in creative industry you know not many people are, are into having families. They always leave it a bit later, but it seems like yeah. you've naturally just come to a point and you're doing all the things I feel like is where you should be. Yeah, you know? I so, mean, obviously, because we've had to go down a surrogacy route, that was more or less six years in the planning. So, you know, we're blessed now, but we actually wanted to, you know, have kids a lot earlier on. I don't think I ever put pressure or stress or any kind of, plan in place which kind of allows me to be a little bit fearless and just keep moving with whatever I you know I'm attacking at that moment um of course I have goals set you know and I want to further and, and build on my clientele and build on my career you know there was once a time where I had two female clients I dressed and I was like oh god I wish I could have more but I'm really busy now I'm probably my busiest than I've ever been I've got six daily weekly clients um in the industry now and i've got new twins and i'm getting married and i'm probably you know set myself up to be in a white room very soon um <laughs> but i never really yeah. I, I don't plan anything like yeah. like it's not not seriously when it comes to work yes the the kids and family and, and, and getting married but you know i don't ever put too much pressure on myself and i i would say to anyone listening, that's the first thing to, you know, relinquish from yourself mm. in this industry. The pressure is the thing that fundamentally will end up, you know, hurting you, upsetting you, getting you down, um, break, breaking bonds with people. And obviously, sadly, you know, people in this industry do suffer a lot mentally, you know, with mental illness. So I would say release the pressure. There is no need. If something works, follow it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So... My future's set basically on the fact that I just run with the the moment and enjoy it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's a good Thank way to you. end it, Carl Willett. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> I look forward to seeing all these amazing adventures. And uh, yeah. I know you're part of the Best. journey now. I am, I am. Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've said it now, so <laughs> I'll be expecting it from Watch you. Watch space. Yeah. Well, good luck with everything, Carl. And Thank uh, yeah, thanks for Likewise. coming. Always.